0: A lot of you know that when I was in my late teens after high school, I, I went to this search and rescue training school. It was Christian-based. It was a little culty, um, but that's not the point of the story. <laughs> um, but during the summer, we would do these camps for like uh, junior high and, and high school-aged kids to come. And we would teach them, you know, survival skills and how to set up a campsite and, and do all this stuff. And we would, we would do like Bible studies and things with them as well while we were there. And I remember one night I was 18, so I'm not super old at this point. And, and this kid who's just a couple years younger than me, he's like after, after, after lights out and everything, he says, can I, can I talk to you? And so, sure, let's, so we go sit outside, and we're sitting by the lake, and he is like, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to talk about this, but, but how do I know that, how do I know that God loves me? Because I don't, I don't think that he does, like, I just feel, I don't feel like God loves me, and why should he, why should he love me? And I was like, I, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I'm not really equipped for this conversation right now. I'm just supposed to teach you how to start a fire, uh, and and I wanted to help him, and I. But I just had never really had a conversation with somebody who who had that doubt or that place in them of saying, "How do I know that God loves me? How can I be confident that God loves me?" And I tried my best, and I prayed with him, and and I really, you know, I never. After he left, I, I have no idea. I don't remember his name. I can't look him up on Facebook or anything. I don't know what happened to that young man. But, but I was thinking about that conversation in preparation for, for today because I think that a lot of us have similar questions or we go down that line of questioning. And we might not say it the same way, but many of us have doubts that, you know, that we are the kind of person that Jesus would love like we don't fit the we don't fit the profile uh, our lives are too messy or we've done some bad stuff and we burned some bridges and, and so we can just kind of feel like i have i've done i've done a lot of stuff i may be too far gone for for god to love me and, and even if i even if i wanted him to love me and even if i wanted to participate in this this jesus life Um, you know, could I ever really belong? Could I ever really be a part of of the life that Jesus wants me to? Or am I going to continue failing? You know, I don't fit in with all these Christians. It seems like their stuff is all together. And so we might feel like, even if I want to do this, I'm just going to have to settle for this kind of, Halfway kind of life where I'm in and I'm out and I'm just kind of on the fringes. I'm not really part of the the community. I'm just sort of watching it and trying to participate as best as I can, but but not really. And as we're as we're continuing through this series in the Book of Acts, uh, there there's a story for us here that that gets at this idea of this question of what what kinds of people does Jesus love? Who does Jesus love? And as we've seen through the book of Acts, um, we're seeing that it's not just telling us the story of the spread of an idea or, or, or uh, a message, but but the, the story that we're seeing in Acts is the story of what kinds of people that Jesus love. So Jesus doesn't tell his disciples in Jerusalem, hey, I want you to go out, here's the three things that people need to believe, and then you baptize them, and then we set up an organization, and then we just continue doing that. Like You could, you could kind of break it down that way, but really the, the story is take the message of my love to every place in the world. Take the good news of who I am and what I've done to to everyone. And that's, that's what the gospel is. It's that it's Jesus' life. He comes into the world because he loves us. He dies on the cross because he loves us. He raises from death and ascends to the Father because he loves us. They're all, all these things are proclaiming not just like a set of things that we, boxes that we check to believe, but they're these proclamations of God's Love for us that he wants us to be with him. And that story continues in the passage that we're looking at today. We see the Apostle Paul, and he's got some companions with him, Silas and Timothy and and Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts. And, And they were on a missionary trip and they've gone all over the place and and we saw in this passage last week that they had been led by the Holy Spirit to go to the city of Philippi in Macedonia. And so, so that's what we're seeing this week is this trip, but, but that it's not just a travel log, like here they went here, they went here, but it's the story of God's love and asking who are the kinds of people that Jesus loves. And I think it's easy for us to say, you know, somebody came up and asked you, who, who do you think God loves? And we would be like, oh, well, you know, God loves everyone. He loves everybody. And I think that's, yes, we would all probably say that, but I think it's a lot harder to say that Jesus loves people who are not like us. <laughs> I think if we're, if we're very honest, um, we, we might find it hard to say that, well, Jesus loves people who annoy me. You know, or Jesus loves people who don't fit the categories that I have or match my personal preferences, right? And and if you get specific, the, the more specific we get, that question gets harder and harder. And maybe you have names in your mind and you think, does Jesus love that person or does he love me? These are the questions that we're asking. Who does... Jesus' love. And we'll, we'll meet some examples in this passage, but let's, let's get to it. We'll read Acts chapter 16. We're going to read starting at verse 11 all the way through the end of the chapter. So it's a long passage, but uh, I'm really looking forward to this time we have in the book of Acts. So it'll be up on the screen. It's on pages 925 and 926 in the Bibles back there. Here we go, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stalks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly... And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. Your word is life to us, and we pray that it would bring life as we hear it today, that you would show us your love through your word that these aren't just stories that have been told, but they are evidences of your great love for us and the kinds of people that you love. Would you cut through our doubts and our fears and that your perfect love for us would cast out our doubt and our fear and that we could follow you confident in knowing that you love us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first we see what kind of people does Jesus love? Who are the people that Jesus loves? And the first one is a rich businesswoman. She wears a pantsuit. Um, <laughs> as, as Paul and his team, they come into the city of Philippi. It's a Roman colony. That means it has a very strong Roman identity and, uh, and that the Romans who live there don't actually have to pay Taxes, uh, like like other uh, cities do, that are part of the Roman Empire, and uh, so so it has this strong, really strong Roman influence and and identity, and that that comes into play later on. So so as they come into the city, the first strategy for Paul and his team is to do what they always do when they come to a new town: they look for people who are already seeking. God. So in particular, they look for people who are interested in the Jewish God or the God of Israel or Yahweh. So, so in other cities, they would go to a synagogue, right? That's where people who are Jewish who live there or for people who are interested in learning about the Jewish God to go there. Uh, and so even in this Roman colony far away from Israel, Paul finds that there is a place of Worship or a place of prayer where people are gathering together, women are gathering together to pray and to worship on the Sabbath, which is the day of worship for the people of Israel. And so, as Paul and Silas and the team are there, Paul begins to teach the group that is gathered there, the small group of women. And and we don't know exactly what he says. We don't have a transcript of what he was teaching about, but we can assume that it's similar to the things that he's done other times that he has gone to Jewish places of worship in other cities. He would have said, You know, here's the history of our people, here's the history of the God of Israel, and now I want to tell you about the fulfillment of that history. I want to tell you about the Messiah, Jesus. He's the the Son of God. He's God's fulfillment of all the promises that he made, and that Jesus is specifically the one who has come to give us salvation, to be our Messiah, and one of the women who was gathered there that day is a woman named Lydia. And Luke, who's the author of Acts, he says this woman came from Thyatira, which is an Asian city on the other side of the Aegean Sea, and that she was a merchant or a seller of purple cloth. So she has her own business, and she, she is in charge of getting this cloth and selling it. So purple fabric it was a luxury item for people in this period of of history and so it is very reasonable to assume that she is a wealthy well-to-do upper-class person she owns her own home which we can uh, we can assume is large because she has a uh, she has employees she has servants who work for her uh, she has a house that's big enough to accommodate a lot of people and um, her husband is not mentioned here, so she's probably widowed or divorced. Uh, but, but the picture that Luke gives us just in this brief passage is that Lydia is someone who is capable. She is strong. She's independent. She's wealthy. She's a smart uh, woman. She's somebody that you could admire and say, here's a woman whose life is put together. She has her stuff where she wants it. She's kind of achieved uh, a place of status, which particularly during that time was hard for a woman, especially a single woman, to have, and yet, with all of this, with all of this uh, independence and and influence that she has, she still feels like something is missing in her life. Now, how do we know this? because Luke says she was a worshiper. Of God, or she was somebody who who wanted to learn about God, the, specifically the God of Israel, so she's not from Israel, she's not Jewish. she comes from a different ethnic and religious background. She probably grew up worshiping other uh, regional gods or kind of the the greco-Roman uh, deities, but something about the god of israel has attracted her or drawn her in and she wants to learn more and she's she's devoted time and effort to learning more so in spite of her wealth in spite of her status she has to go outside the city there's probably not a building for them to do this so they're just outside by the river there's There's not even enough men. You had to have 10 men, uh, Jewish men, to make a synagogue. So there's not even one man mentioned here, but uh, they're they're all gathered together to learn and observe a religion that is not respectable within the Roman Empire. It's sort of tolerated, but it's not respected. And so, so they have to be outsiders. They have to go outside the city. And here we see that Jesus loves people like Lydia. He loves rich businesswomen. He sent, Jesus sent Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy to this place. You remember remember that that Paul, they tried to go to all these other places, but but Paul has this vision. Uh, A man from Macedonia says, come over, we need your help. And Jesus is the one who sent Paul that vision. And he sent Paul and Silas and this team hundreds of miles. And the first place they go is to the banks of the river outside the city. And Lydia hears the good news of Jesus, that that God loves her. And that, that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, she can fully belong. To God's family. And and as Paul is is teaching this group of women, here's who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is how he's the fulfillment of God's promises to us. Luke says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. That he opened Lydia's heart to the message of Jesus. Now think you can imagine that this isn't the first. Religion or uh, idea that that Lydia has tried to to look at and explore right she 's probably gone on a kind of a, a journey like what what about this religion? Maybe I could learn a bit more about this one so so who knows how many um, programs and self-help books and TED talks and podcasts that Lydia had listened to of course those technologies didn't exist but but the, you know we do the same thing right there's there's some of us who are who are searching and we look for all kinds of ways to find some kind of satisfaction or some kind of, of something that will scratch the itch that we have but here on this beautiful day she discovered that what she thought she had been looking for, that that she was the one who was seeking, but that love had actually come and found her. It's incredible that God sent this team of men to this spot on this day so that this woman who thought she was the one who was looking finds out, oh, actually, God was the one who was looking for me. He was the one who was coming after me. And her eyes are open to see, her heart is opened to believe and God's grace comes alive to her in the love of Jesus. And she, she can't help but respond, yes, I am in, I believe in this Jesus. And her response is immediate. It says that she is baptized. So we know that baptism is this declaration that that I have received new life in Jesus. I have a new identity. The old me is gone and now I'm living in this new life with Jesus. And she shares the good news of Jesus with her family and her employees or her whole household. She makes her home available for, uh, this is going to become the base of mission within the city of Philippi. And, and this is a great picture of hospitality, right? When we open our homes, it's such an incredible way to share the love of Jesus, especially, I think, in our culture today, right? To invite people into your home is a powerful, intimate, uh, welcoming experience. Hey, come sit at my table. Come eat my food. Come, come be in my house. And Lydia's doing that. Now, what's happening here with Lydia? She has received love, and she knows it, and it compels her to love others, to open up her life to love others. And really, she's doing what we've seen the other disciples do, especially back in Jerusalem, right? They gave everything they had. They put it at the feet of the disciples, saying, we want our lives, our resources, our money, whatever we have— we want it to be put to use for Jesus, for the mission of Jesus, for the kingdom of Jesus. And that's exactly what Lydia is doing here. And, and maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you're like Lydia, that, that you have this desire, this searching in you. I want to find some kind of truth I want to find some kind of faith. I want to find something that is solid and I can hang on to and I can, I can put my whole life into it and it won't fail me. But you, maybe you just don't feel like you've found it yet. You don't feel satisfied. Now here's, here's what's true for us. Here's what's true for you is that just like Lydia that that Jesus loves you, and and you're here today to hear that, to know that, that that if Jesus would go, you know, send these guys hundreds of miles so that this woman could hear the story of Jesus that that he loved her and had come after her. You're sitting here today, and you're hearing the same story, the same good news, that Jesus through your whole life has brought you to a place where you can hear That Jesus loves you, that he cares about you, and that he wants you to find find a place in his family where you can belong. And then for those of us who we were part of that family, we're part of that story, here's our encouragement, which is to keep declaring and displaying the good news of Jesus through the things we do and the things that we say. Um, you know, we 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 hear this story and we think, well, Paul must have really preached like a banging sermon. Like it must have been amazing because this lady believed in Jesus right away. But it, that's not really what happened here. He just told the same story. Just like we tell the same gospel story over and over again. Lydia didn't come to faith in Jesus because Paul preached an amazing sermon. She came to faith because God chose at that specific moment to open her heart to believe in Jesus, to put her faith in Jesus. God used Paul and the message that he was preaching, but God is the one who did the saving. It wasn't wasn't Paul. And in the same way, Jesus uses us to spread his message, to spread his good news. He does the saving, we do the sharing. And so you have Lydia's in your life, people that you don't even know, but that he's sending you to those people to be the one that he uses to open their hearts to the good news of Jesus. So keep on sharing, keep on being faithful with the love of Jesus so that they could believe so that that you get to be that channel of Jesus' love. So Jesus loves rich businesswomen, women, plural. (laughs) He also loves poor slave girls. Now, where do we see this? Paul and his team, uh, they probably continued using this space outside the city to just be like, we'll be here, we'll keep teaching people about Jesus outside the city so we don't cause any trouble. Uh, and as, as they're going there day after day, they have this encounter with this young woman who is a slave. And we could say that she's a double slave. She's uh, a slave spiritually and a slave physically. Verse 16 says she has the spirit of divination. But the, in the Greek, it says that she has the spirit of the python. That's really interesting, right? What does that mean? So there's a Greek legend that there was a prophet called the Oracle of Delphi, uh, somebody who could tell the future so people could go there and say, you know, what should I do about this or or, what's going to happen in my life? And Delphi's temple was guarded by a python. So when a person would go into a trance, uh, and they would go into probably like a manic fit, and they would begin to speak about the future, people would say, this person has the spirit of the python. Uh, and so, so that meant that they believed that this person could predict the future. They had the spirit of the oracle. And so this woman, this young woman, has, has that spirit uh, because she is enslaved to an evil spirit. And so because she's enslaved, she can actually tell the future. She's a, she could, she's a fortune teller. She's somebody that people would go to to say, you know, here's what's going to happen. And, and that has value, right? That has worth. Um, people are willing to pay to find out, is this a good investment? Should I make this deal. Should I go here? Should I go there? What's going to happen next? And, and that enslavement, that bondage that she's in, leads to her second bondage, which is her physical enslavement. She is owned and possessed by not just a person, but a group of people. She's being exploited. She's being used. She is You know, to put it in words that we would understand today, she's being pimped out. She's making a lot of money for the people who own her. It says a couple of times that they made a great profit through the the gift, quote unquote, that she she had, and and she can't do anything to free herself physically, socially, and economically, spiritually. She's in a desperate situation. She is entirely trapped, and so here come. Paul and his crew, they're walking through the city, and she sees them, and she follows them calling out in this spirit uh, of of the python that, that these men are slaves of the most high. Just like I'm a slave to the spirit of the python, they're slaves of the most high God, and they're teaching about the way of salvation. And now we read that, and we think, well, that's that's not so bad. I mean, the Most High God, and she's teaching; they're teaching about salvation. Like that's not incorrect. Um, but sh- she's not really wrong. But she's being very general in the way that she says it. In the Greco-Roman world, the Most High God referred to Zeus, not Yahweh, not the the uh, the God of Israel, and and all the gods promise a way of salvation in some way or. Another, so, so To our ears, we hear it and we think, well, that's not so bad. But, but what she's actually saying is, uh, is probably confusing to the people who are hearing it. And they're like, well, we know she's connected with the spiritual. She has some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of spiritual power. And she's saying they have some kind of spiritual power. As well, and so the best guess we could have is that she's trying, or the spirit that possesses her is trying to confuse the people of Philippi into saying that we're kind of the same, that they have a gift and I have a gift, and we're all just kind of doing our thing. You could go that way, you could go that way, there's a way of salvation one way or another. She's, she's confusing the message that Paul and Silas and the rest of the team are teaching. And so Paul says, you know what, enough of this. This has happened several days in a row, and maybe he's grieved uh, at seeing this poor woman in such torment. Maybe he is angered at the way that she is being exploited, or maybe he is just annoyed like I am... You know this woman just follows us around, and she 's bothering me so whatever the whatever the motives that Paul has uh, it, it, Luke says he was greatly annoyed or he was disturbed, so that you could interpret it a bunch of different ways. he says all right let 's be clear." Uh, Who we're talking about. We serve a master who is above all these other gods, these other spirits. He really is the most high God. And his name is not Zeus or anything else. His name is Jesus. And so in his name and in his authority, get out of her and get out of here. And immediately, the evil spirit departs from this woman. And so she is free in a spiritual sense. The spirit of the python is no longer wrapped around her. Now, now, just think about what we've seen so far. We've got Lydia, wealthy, independent businesswoman who comes from another region. Then we have this girl who is poor, exploited, abused probably from Philippi, that city. Lydia's put together, has her own business, she owns a home, has influence. This girl is a total mess. I mean, she doesn't have control of her own body, her own speech. She is broken, she is tormented, she has nothing to her name. We could say that she doesn't even have a name. Her identity is that she is enslaved she's only good to people because she can make them money and giving them what they want these two women they couldn't be any more different right but they both need Jesus and they are both loved by Jesus Lydia needs Jesus just as much as the slave girl and the slave girl is loved by Jesus just as much as Lydia. Jesus came for both of them. And Lydia, her, her way into meeting Jesus was through a sermon, right? This reasoned argument. Here's what happened in the history. Here's the fulfillment in Jesus. The slave girl, she needed this radical power encounter. She, she had an exorcism right in the middle of the street, But Jesus met each one of them where they were, brought salvation to both of them right where they needed him. And that's such a testimony to the way that Jesus loves us and the kinds of people that Jesus loves. He loves rich, well-to-do, put-together women whose lives look nice, and he loves poor slave girls who are being exploited and abused. Next, we see that he also loves blue-collar jailers. (laughs) How do we see this? Uh, After this young woman is released from her spiritual bondage, we find that there is trouble immediately. Paul can't get away from getting into trouble. Uh, So what what happens? Well, this young woman is no longer valuable to her owners anymore. Uh, They they don't care, like, oh, she's actually much healthier as a person now. Like, all they see is our golden goose is not laying eggs anymore. Our, we, they probably purchased her because she had the spirit of divination. They probably made a big investment in her, and it's been paying off. And now it's nothing. They don't have anything from her, and they are mad. They drag Paul and Silas to the center of town where all the business and all the the civil stuff happens uh, and they are hungry for blood. Now the Roman law said uh, if you if there was a loss of income it wasn't a criminal issue it was a civil issue and so you had to deal with it that way so they they're like we don't want to deal with the the uh, civil stuff that's not like bloody enough we need to make this like a criminal issue and so they decide to appeal to that strong sense of Roman identity in this colony of Philippi where there's a lot of retired Roman soldiers uh, people who are in the army are there it's a very strong Roman city that they they love Rome they're patriots for Rome and they say these Jews you know Jews, they're not from here. Uh, We should be suspicious of people who come from other places. Uh, They're trying to disturb our way of life. They're teaching things that just don't line up with the Roman way of doing things. So we've got a little nationalism. We've got a little xenophobia. We have a little racism. And it's all covering up the real root issue. They're just mad because they're not making money anymore. The message of Jesus is fine with people until it gets in the way of making money. (laughs) And the whole town, they got all caught up in this like, yeah, these guys are bad. They're trying to, to get us to change our Roman way of life and the leaders agree this is not okay. So without a trial, without even letting Paul or Silas defend themselves, somehow Luke and Timothy did not get dragged into this, thankfully for them. But Paul and Silas are they are stripped, they are beaten, and it's all done publicly in this very humiliating way. And finally, they're turned over to the jailer who is in charge of the prison that's right near the center of town, and he puts them in the stocks, which is this really painful device that only allowed you to sit down or lie down on the ground, which is really difficult when you've just been beaten within an inch of your life and your back is raw and bloody. Now, who is this jailer? Most likely, he is a retired Roman soldier who's been given a cush government job. You get to do this. Your family gets to live in the house near the jail, which doesn't seem that attractive to me, but um, it's a perk, I guess. Uh, but you, you just get this picture of him as he's just a guy going to work. He's just doing his job. He doesn't really care about why Paul and Silas are there. He has seen combat. He's probably pretty cynical about life because of the things that he has seen and the people who have passed through the jail. You know, I I know a lot of people who are in law enforcement, especially people who work in the jail. They get pretty cynical about humanity. And so you could say, this guy is just He's a practical guy. He can make judgment calls. That's a good person. That's a bad person. Uh, And he's just, he does what he's supposed to do. He does what he is told. They tell me to make sure these guys don't get away. So I put them in the stocks in the max security cell. And then I go to bed because that's my job. I did it. I took care of it. And I'll come deal with the rest in the morning. Now, we could say this guy is not as put together as Lydia. He's not wealthy. Uh, he's just kind of a middle-class guy. But he's not as messed up as the slave girl. Like, he has autonomy. He has a good job. He has a family. He has, you know, self-determination in many ways. He just kind of sits in the middle. He's not a—we wouldn't say he's a seeker of God. He doesn't ask them any questions like, why did you guys get beat up like that? Like, what happened? What happened? There's no sense of curiosity from him. He has some authority and he's kind of cruel with it. It doesn't say that he was instructed to put them in the stocks, but maybe he's like, you know what, I'm going to give them the rough treatment tonight. They're going to go in the stocks. And like many people, I think he's just kind of going through his life, doing his thing, not really happy, not really sad, you know, just what do you do? This is... This, it is what it is this is my life and paul and silas are just a couple more nobodies who pass through his existence except they really aren't <laughs> they're awake deep into night into the night they probably can't sleep because they again have just been beaten so pretty tough to lay down and get some rest now what are they doing in these dark hours of the night while their bodies are throbbing in pain. They're really uncomfortable. It says that they're praying and they are singing. And and the jailer can probably hear them singing along with the other prisoners. And this isn't like guys in the drunk tank who are just like, don't know what's going on and they're just singing some random sailor song or something like they these are men who have been beaten they've been put in the darkest most oppressive part of the jail and and I don't know if you've ever been inside of a jail but they're not places that make you want to sing like they make you want to cry nobody is just spontaneously bursting into song like it's the sound of music or something but but here they are, they are singing praises to God in the dark, in the night, in the middle of their suffering. And I guarantee that the jailer had never heard that before. And if that wasn't strange enough, what happens next, you could say it shakes the jailer to his core. I did that for Daniel. <laughs> There's this powerful earthquake, powerful enough to open the doors to the cells to break their bonds, and as the jailer, he goes to, to check on them. Uh, his practical, put-together life as it is, it just kind of all unravels at, at once. And, and even though he has this Cush government job, he was responsible for the prisoners, and if any of the prisoners escaped under his watch, the sentence was that he would lose his life. So it was a serious offense for a prisoner to escape and he sees all the doors are open and he just assumes my life is over now. Whatever the value I had in my life, it's all gone. I failed in my duty and it would just be better for me to take my own life than to have it taken from me. And so he takes out his sword. He's going to kill himself. So he's gone from just kind of like life is fine to like life is gone. I mean, that's a big leap. And he hears a voice say, don't do it. We're all here. None of the prisoners have left. Paul and Silas have stayed and the other prisoners with them. I don't know what kind of thing Paul said to them, but was like, you will not leave. They were like, okay, we'll just stay in here. Um, they, they could Paul and Silas could have left. They didn't even get a trial. I mean, that would just be like, oh, too bad for the jailer. Like he, you know, it's just the, the price that he has to pay for, for being over this corrupt justice system. But they knew, that, they knew what would happen to the jailer if they left. And so, so the man who locked their feet in these stocks, he comes and kneels down before them saying, whatever it is, that caused you to sing, whatever it is that, that made you stay when you could have left, what is it? What is that? How can I become that kind of person? How can I be saved? And so Paul and Silas tell him the story of a man who could have escaped the darkest, most painful hour of his life, but chose to stay on the cross to save the people that he loved. And the jailer, a man who has lived and was about to die by the sword, he meets the Savior who laid his life down. And this hard, rough, violent man says, I want to follow Jesus, not because he's the strongest, but because he loves me. So Jesus loves rich businesswomen like Lydia. Jesus loves poor slave girls who are broken and exploited, and Jesus loves this blue-collar jailer, a guy who thought he had seen it all and was just kind of coasting through life, but he was shaken out of his apathy and shown the most powerful thing he had ever seen, the love of of Jesus. Now the next day, Paul and Silas are, they're told that you can go, you know, we don't really have anything to keep you here for, uh, but they want to do it quietly and, and secretly. And so they say, you're released, and now just, just get out of town, like you've done enough here, you need to leave. And, and Paul speak, speaks up and he says, actually, you need to do this properly. Uh, you humiliated us you beat us publicly, now you need to come release us publicly. And, and by the way, just so you know, we are Roman citizens, which means what you did is illegal, and you could lose your position as the magistrates of the city if we decide to make this a thing. So why don't you come get us out of jail and publicly acknowledge our freedom in front of everyone. So, so why does Paul speak up now? Why does he not defend himself before? And I think that he did this to protect the people that are, that are connected to him, that are associated with him. There's, there's a church now in this city. There are people who are following Jesus and the way that he uh, asserts his legal rights will help uh, that church community that, that instead of being connected with the criminals, you know, who just, they, they just slunk out of town with their tail between their legs, the Christians in Philippi are connected with legitimate Roman citizens, which has weight in Philippi. And it's not much, but it, it shows the love and the care that Paul and Silas have for this newly formed family. So let's Let's wrap it all together. Who does Jesus love? And I think we can say, well, he loves all kinds of people now, but now we're, we can not think of that in such a general sense that, that when we say Jesus loves all kinds of people, we're thinking about Lydia and we're thinking about this slave girl and we're thinking about this jailer and how Jesus met each one of them where they were. And some of the people in our lives, they need a rational argument. You know, they need to read a Tim Keller book about the existence of God. Some people need to be radically delivered from from bondage and from addiction that needs to be a more uh, intense encounter with Jesus. Some people just need to be shaken out of their apathy and have their value system about the way the world works turned upside down. But in all of that, Jesus is showing his love because he gave himself for us to see how he loves us in these really specific ways. And because of that love, this new family is made in Philippi. So just think about this church getting together. We're a church. We gathered together. And you've got Lydia. You've got the slave girl. You've got the jailer. You've got Lydia's family. You've got the jailer's family these people would have never spent time together they probably would have never even met each other but they are together in Lydia's home to worship Jesus they now belong to Jesus and to each other Gentiles slaves women all outcasts from the family of God before but now they're welcomed in and they can share the bread and the cup together of communion saying Jesus gave himself for us. He loves us and now we are a family. The love of Jesus is not just for them, it's for us today as well. Jesus doesn't he doesn't just love a certain kind of person. He loves all kinds of people. There are not outsiders in Jesus. There's not levels of belonging to Jesus. You do or you don't. We all belong. So today, Jesus is making a new family in Eureka and in Humboldt County, and and we get to be part of it. He has come to save us. He's come to rescue us from our sin and our bondage. He's come to meet us where we are to say, I love you. I gave myself for you. Now, come be with me and belong to me, sit around the table with your brothers and sisters and enjoy what I have done for you. Let's pray. Father, each one of us has our doubts of what we've just heard. We either have a hard time believing that you love us or we have a hard time believing that you love other people. And maybe it's both. So I pray that today, through your word, you're showing us that you love all kinds of people, that, that Jesus, you don't have a type of people that you save, you don't have a profile, you don't have preferences because you love all kinds of people, and we're a part of that category. And so I pray that you give us hope for ourselves, you would give us hope for others, you would give us hope for the city and the county that we're a part of that you would help us to embody this love that you've showed to us, Jesus, through our hospitality, through the lives that we lead, through the words that we speak and the things that we do, that we could show this great love to others, and that through our lives, Jesus, you would continue saving people. You would continue opening people's eyes and hearts to come in to your family as they put their faith in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.